You are listening to The Wildlife. Hello, everybody. This is your host, Devin Boker. And today, we have an episode I've been very excited about for quite some time. A, a year, actually, with Cassandra Ford, now Dr. Cassandra Ford, all about electric fish. But before we get into it, I just want to say, so this is a, a sort of coincidental sort of thing, but nearly a year ago to the day uh, is when we actually did the interview with Cassandra and it was after having to uh, uh, push it back a couple of days because of a hurricane that was uh, targeting directly at Louisiana and she wasn't sure if she was going to have to evacuate or, or what the situation would be. Here we are a year later and I'm recording this particular segment of the episode a couple of hours before Ida makes landfall in Louisiana and so um I just want to say um, my heart goes out to everybody who is in the line of the storm. Um, when this episode actually posts, it will be several days after landfall has been made. And so my intent is uh, to use the episode notes to provide several outlets for people to um, make donations to, uh, to help people who are the soon-to-be victims of Hurricane Ida. Uh, it's a little eerie to say it in that way, but um, uh, that that is what it is. And um, to Cassandra Ford, um, I'm not entirely sure if you are still in Louisiana yourself, but if you are, stay safe. Today's episode, like I said, is all about electric fish. We talk about the origins of electric fish, how a living creature generates electricity, the shocking or not so shocking truth about touching electric fish, electric eels and feels, communication and interference, and stunning secrets. So stay tuned, because this episode is shocking. way that I think a lot of people probably think about them is like they're like the mitochondria of the sea or the water they're just like these powerhouse. The powerhouse <laughs> of the sea yeah they're just these electrical powerhouses that you can't touch and so already you've mentioned holding them yep. so clearly you can yes you can know, <laughs> or something um the first question actually so you said there's two major groups are they related or is this very, like a convergent evolution thing? Okay. So they have had about a hundred million years of separation mm. where they have been isolated on the different continents of Africa and South America. They've been separated for millions of years and evolving independently. Um, so I don't know how familiar your listeners are with like ancient geography. <laughs> um, <laughs> sure. Our continents haven't always been where they are, and they won't stay where they are either. You might be familiar with the idea of plate tectonics and continental plates, but if you aren't, here's a quick detour that might help. Imagine a bowl of frosted flakes. Yeah, the, the cereal. The milk is the Earth's mantle, a layer of largely molten rock between the crust where we are, and the spinning core at the center which is responsible for things like our magnetic field. The continental plates are the frosted flakes, and all of the continents we know sit on those, floating 
and shifting on top of the milk, reshaping the world as we know it. Collisions cause earthquakes in the births of mountains. Believe it or not, most of the continents as we know them can fit together in sort of a puzzle piece. And one in particular is the eastern coast of South America with the western coast of Africa. Millions of years ago, all of the continents were actually all bunched together. Um, They're in one giant supercontinent. And over time, it started breaking up. And uh, I believe it was about 250 million years ago, we mm-hmm. got to the point where Africa and South America were actually still attached. Um, very, in a very little tiny area by the end. Um, but they, those two continents were actually still smushed together. And there was an ancestor that lived on both continents. So there was a species of fish that lived all over the place on both of those continents. Okay. When those two continents split apart, we had two different groups of fish, the same species at the time, one on each of the continents, right? Yeah. And over time, evolution happened, and we ended up with a bunch of species that are distantly related through that one ancestor back in the day. But Mm -hmm. now we have about 200 to 250 species of electric fish on both of those continents. And the cool thing is that that ancestor back in the day wasn't actually an electric fish. What? No way. Yeah. So both of these lineages, both of these groups, independently evolved electric signal. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. What are yeah. the chance? Well, like, like that's an impossible calculation, I bet. But like that's that's so cool. Yeah. Well, okay, so what like what in the evolution is going on here then with like how what what is the um like how does that happen how do you how do you become electrical so the whole concept of kind of two groups coming to the same conclusion i guess Mm -hmm. is called convergent evolution so they both both of these groups of fish live in similar environments Mm-hmm. So if you think about like the Amazon River is kind of the big river in South America and the Congo River is the big river in Africa. Mm. Both of those rivers are super dark. There's a okay. lot of mud and sediment just floating around. And so in all honesty, vision is not that helpful. Okay. They can't see anything, right? So what these fish have done is create a different sense. So we have like our five senses. Mm-hmm. They've created an, an extra one that they can use to sense what's around them. So a lot of people are pretty familiar, like in grade school science, we messed around with magnets, yeah. right? And you have like the one magnet and you put the little metal chips around it and you see that it forms like two semicircles around yeah. the magnet, right? From positive to negative. Mm-hmm. You can think about the fish's body as that magnet, but it's using an electric current instead of a magnetic current. So it has these little semicircles going around its body that it can sense if something enters or leaves that electric field around their body. And so in a sense, they can see what's around them using electricity. Okay, so really this is a whole topic for another time, but it's something that I get really amped about. Get it? Amped? 
Anyway, it's difficult to explain in the amount of time that I'm going to give myself here, but electricity and magnetism are essentially the same thing. What I mean is electricity exists as a static charge. But when that charge begins to move, we get an electrical current. Magnetism is just an interaction between those moving charges. If you get really, really into it, it has to do also with like which direction the electrons are spinning and their location in an object. That's why you can make an electromagnet out of a D-cell battery and why Earth's core generates a magnetic field by spinning. The really cool piece that I wanted to mention is related to this idea of something interacting with the field and then being able to sense it. Did you know that the northern lights are essentially a way for us to see the Earth's magnetic field in action, protecting us from the sun? It's literally acting as a force field for the planet. And the northern lights are like in a sci-fi movie when like a photon torpedo is hitting this invisible force field. And then you see like that ripple effect. So... In terms of the actual, like, the modality of this then. So is this, is this like an ion related thing? Like yeah. ion charges? Some, okay. So yes. how? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So all cells have ions in them. They mm -hmm. have sort of a background, little tiny electric signal to it. All of them. Our cells have it. All living cells have some sort of kind of background little baseline electric current to them. I should add that an electrical current flows from areas of negative charge to areas of positive charge. Negative charge means it has more electrons, and an atom with more electrons than protons is called an anion, which is negatively charged. If it has a positive charge, that means it has fewer electrons than protons, and it's called a cation. That's one word. I always remember that because like positive, like P-A-W. <laughs> anyway, um, both of these cases, the atoms are out of balance because to be in balance, you need to have the same number of protons, which are positively charged particles, and electrons, which are negatively charged particles. So for example, negative one being the electron and positive one being the proton, if you add those together, you get zero. But... If you have more electrons or less electrons, you're not going to get zero. You're going to get a negative number or a positive number. Those are cations and anions. Ions. Okay. Okay. But for the most part, organisms can't control that. Sure. We have no way to be like, oh, I guess I want the positive ones up here and the negative <laughs> ones down here in our bodies. We, yeah. like humans, we can't do that, right? Mm -hmm. Well, these fish can control it. So they've controlled, they have these special cells that they've evolved. They've kind of taken cells that they already had and they've repurposed them. Mm -hmm. And they repurpose them so that they can control where the ions sit on each side of the cell. So they put all the positive ones on one side and all the negative ones on the other. Wow. And they send an electrical impulse down this, their body with all of those cells lined up one after the other. So if you have positive on one side, one like the snout of the fish, and a negative on the tail end of the fish, that electrical discharge will run all the way through the body, out into the water, and then where does it want to go? It wants to go back up to the front. 
does it okay this might be a dumb question i'm I'm picturing this like as you're saying this i'm picturing this in my head of like a whole bunch of little cells doing the wave through through the body so does like this charge does it build up as it goes down or is it kind of like a you know a, a, a like a specific amount that kind of travels down like a little package so it actually depends that is okay. a fantastic question um so in the south american fish there are actually two different types of electrical signals that okay. are created. One is called wave type. Ah. <laughs> and if you think about it, it's just kind of like a consistent, it's like the wave. So it goes yeah. up and down and up and down. And you mm -hmm. just have consistent sending of an impulse and back. Sending sure. an in impulse and it comes back. If that makes sense. Does that yeah. make sense? Uh -huh. Okay. The other is a pulse type. So that one, it has a strong discharge on one end, and then it'll go around. It, it's just slightly stronger than the wave type. So okay. the wave type is more modular. It kind mm -hmm. of is, it, it's lower in amplitude. It's not quite as strong. It's more of like a consistent little wave. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe that. Um, whereas the pulse is more like, a burst of electrical impulse and you have a positive burst and then it goes down to a negative. Okay. Okay. No, that, that, that makes sense. I'm, I'm kind of, yeah. So like, like steady waves versus like a tsunami, like a big push. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's, that's a really good. Yeah. That's okay. Good. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. I, I'm already like mind blown with, or like <laughs> everything is, you know, okay. I'm just like, oh, but um, <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so, so maybe like to focus in on a, like a particular type for a moment, cause I know there's a lot of different types, but like, I think one that a lot of people are familiar with is the electric eel. Yeah. Um, what, I mean, so for, so their electricity, it's sensory based. Is it just for like movement? Okay. So it depends on what species we're talking about okay. for electric fish. Okay. So the electric eel, yes, I would say it's probably the one that most people are familiar with. The electric eel is also kind of the odd man out. It's ah. the weirdest one mm -hmm. um, because it is the strongest one. Okay. So it produces the strongest electric discharge. It's um, upwards of like 800 volts. Oh, wow. And so it's stronger than a taser, pretty much like being electrocuted. Wow. Um, and so the electric eel has both kind of that background electric field around their body at all times, mm -hmm. but they're also able to control it and create that huge discharge that they use for both predation and for defense. But like I said, the eel is kind of the odd man out. Mm -hmm. The rest of the species, and I'm talking both the ones in South America and the ones in Africa, mm -hmm. the rest of the species, all 400 some, cannot do that extra burst of electric discharge. Okay. You could actually, you can stick your hand in the tank, and this is what I was talking about, pick them up, and you won't feel anything. Really? Nothing. Huh. Because that background kind of electric field around them we're talking, it's like millivolts. Oh. It is small. It is little. It is like none of the electricity that we're used to in our homes. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's minuscule. It's tiny. And so you can pick them up, 
you can handle them, whatever you want, and you won't feel a thing. They actually didn't realize that they were electric until somebody like stuck an amplifier into the water <laughs> and heard it. Oh. So um, back in the day, they, they saw these weird cells. So those electric cells that I was talking about, mm -hmm. you can actually see them. Like if you dissect out the fish, they're visible and they look different than any of the other cells that are in the body. Mm. But they're like, that's weird. Those are the same kind of cells that are in the electric eel, but these fish can't hurt us. They're not shocking us at all. Why do they have them? And so it took somebody figuring out how to amplify that electric background discharge to realize, oh, they have a different type of electric signal. This one's really small. This one they're just using for that sensory input. Um, but we also think that they use it for like communication. Ooh. So they can like send chirps, they can modulate it, they can change it if they need to a little bit. Um, but it's also species specific. Okay. So each species has its own kind of unique twist on the signal, whether it's the strength, whether it's the like how fast they modulate that electric signal. It's all just kind of a little bit different sure. for each species. And so they can identify both potential mates and potential competitors. Okay. Okay. So, so kind of what you're saying is when they, uh, when they, uh, when they, when they discovered those cells, it was a bit shocking. <laughs> okay. I'm going to, I'll see myself out. And, <laughs> um, okay. Um, so, so I, I distracted myself with that one. Um, in terms of, I mean, so do a lot of these then live in groups or are they, are they largely, um, you know, for that, for that purpose of communicating in between each other, or is it not so much? Actually, we, so there's a lot of like their ecology mm -hmm. that we don't know a whole lot about just mm -hmm. because it's so hard to study them living in their natural environment. It's really mm -hmm. hard to, you can't like put a camera into, Oh yeah. You can't put a camera into the Amazon and see what's going on. Yeah. Um, but what we have found, and this is based on like putting fish into aquarium tanks, mm -hmm. they actually don't really like being all that close to each other. Mm -hmm. um, with that electric signal, you can kind of think of it almost as like feedback. So oh. if they get too close to each other and they like can't really get away, being that close kind of interferes with their electric signal and it, it doesn't really seem like it's something they like. Like they are much happier as fish if they are alone. Oh, they've got like a built-in <laughs> social thing. distancing system. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but that being said, there actually is a species in the group in Africa that's been documented to do pack hunting, Ooh. which is super cool. <laughs> that's really cool. <laughs> so there are some exceptions, um, but yeah. So uh, the electric fish, um, you mentioned that, you know, that they're able to, to release this Im immense discharge of electricity. So like, is, is there, is there an element of that? Is that, is that like an anti-predation thing or do they use that as a hunting tool or what oh. is that about? Oh, both. <laughs> okay. Both. Um, so they both use it for defense and to try to disarm prey. Okay. No. Okay. What's like the, um, 
I mean, you mentioned like 800 volts. I mean, like how, how big of something can they, cause you know, they're in waters with like caimans and, and all kinds of stuff. I mean, what can they, uh, what can they disarm? Um, in terms of like what they eat, um, mm -hmm. they probably go for medium sized mammals or smaller. So I don't really think most electric eels are like hunting caiman. Um, sure. but they could use that electric discharge to shock a caiman and be like, Hey dude, don't eat me. Mm. It's not going to be fun. Sure. Um, so there's really not much of a limit to what they could attack like in mm -hmm. defense, but in terms of what they actually eat, it's probably things that are smaller than them. Um, they get about six feet long. Oh, average. wow. Yeah. Wow. So they get pretty big. That is way bigger than I thought because you, you already threw me for a slight loop when you said like medium to small mammals. And I was like, hold up, <laughs> like yeah. medium, <laughs> small, I can understand <laughs> medium. That's, that's starting to throw me. Um, so like, can they, could that kill a person? So what's Possibly. happened in the past, it, yeah. it doesn't really kill someone just with the shock. Ah. Um, what normally happens is obviously these are river fish mm -hmm. and so it can stun a person or it's also like stunned animals like horses yeah. to the point where they might fall over and drown oh wow. um so it, it's not normally like the shock that kills you it's the circumstances around it that could be dangerous sure um so sort of just a a, a eel eely question um moray eels one of my favorite things about them is that they have these uh creepy pharyngeal jaws and i've been wondering do electric eels have the same kind of setup they do not oh man no. <laughs> it would have made them so much cooler <laughs> nah they're they're already pretty uh, cool. so no they don't uh morays are actually in a different group mm -hmm. uh they're in like the true eels mm. um within Kind of the group of like within fishes um mores are in actual eels uh electric eel is almost like a misnomer in that they're not true eels at all they're actually legitimately fish that oh, have just okay. lost those fins okay so okay yeah but um the group in africa doesn't have pharyngeal jaws but they actually do have a different set of second jaws. Mm -hmm. um, so they're in a group of fish known as the bony tongue. Ooh. So they have, you know, like our hyoid bone that's yeah. in our throat. Yeah. Um, they have kind of repurposed that hyoid into a bony structure within the mouth. Oh. And they've actually put some teeth on it. Ooh cases so actually that's one of the things that i am looking at in my studies is what is, is the tooth morphology like in some of these species of african electric fish because there are some like shell crushing plates there are some pointy teeth there are wow. species with a lot of teeth there are species with very few teeth but it's a second set of teeth within their mouth mm -hmm. it's not the pharyngeal jaws but it's a different second set of teeth and it's pretty cool that's that's so interesting like things like that just i'm happy you brought that up because i was going to ask you first off you know one of the things you know what are the current things that you're really focusing on and studying um but when things kind of pop up 
in nature in in subtly different ways um so consistently like that Mm -hmm. like like clearly there's you know a, a supreme benefit to having you know a second set of teeth in some manner and yeah. um you know trying to peer into their life there's just so much you can learn about an animal just by looking at its teeth in general and yes. and it's it's <laughs> habitat and like the way that it interacts with the environment and stuff and so that that is always one that just kind of i don't know it it, it fascinates me no it's so cool yeah. Jaw and tooth morphology is, I, I love it. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah. And, and people, when I, like, I've had students ask me when I've talked about different courses and stuff and they'll ask about like mammalogy and I'm like, yeah, you actually spend a lot of time looking at teeth and, mm-hmm. and ratios of types of teeth and stuff. And it's actually a lot more, it feels like dentistry almost more than anything else. <laughs> yeah. 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 And fish have, a wide variety of different types of teeth too so it's really cool and it definitely can give you some insight into what they could potentially be eating so so i guess i guess then you know some of these other these other electrical fish not the electrical eels i mean so in terms of appearance do they all have a, a fairly general appearance about them like other groups might or is there a lot of diversity in their appearance so it depends on what part of their body you are talking about. Okay. So in terms of the South American fish, let's just kind of focus on those for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, they all have pretty similar body shapes, I would okay. say. Um, they're really long. They're really skinny. And they don't have a dorsal fin. Hmm. So if we're looking at kind of fish anatomy, um, a lot of people are probably pretty familiar with like shark anatomy or like, you know, orca anatomy or something. The dorsal fin is that fin on the top of the body that Mm -hmm. sticks out of the water. Most fish have a dorsal fin. And in some shape, they might even have two dorsal fins. Mm -hmm. This particular group doesn't have a dorsal fin at all. But what they do have is a really, really long anal fin. It's the fin on the bottom of their body. Mm And they've made it pretty much the entire length of their body is just a giant fin. And they rotate the bones in that fin around to make the fin kind of wave back and forth in an oscillating pattern. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is actually what propels them forward or backward. So a lot of fish are kind of constrained in how they can swim what direction they can swim because they're only using like their side fins so they can only move their side fins in certain directions Mm -hmm. and so for the most part most fish really only swim forwards but these fish can actually swim forward or backwards because they're just waving that fin back and forth Mm -hmm. and causing the water to move in different directions oh and I imagine so, that's got to be very convenient being in a murky, in a murky yeah. setting, a murky environment. Yeah. That that's probably supremely important to being sneaky and yes, yeah, um, and getting around. I mean, yeah, yeah, it, it's pretty cool. Um, but those fish actually look pretty different from the fish that are in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, the electric fish in Africa do have a dorsal fin. And they don't have that super long 
fin on the bottom of their body. They actually kind of, the, their body looks a little bit more fishy, okay. like a normal fish um, sure. than the South American ones. But the coolest thing, and actually the focus of my research program right now, the coolest thing that I think about these fish is their head morphology. Hmm. So what their head shape is. And there's actually a huge amount of diversity in head shape in both of these different groups. Hmm. And if you look at them um, neck side by side, look at the two different groups, there are actually a lot of similarities. And that's kind of going back to that idea of convergent evolution that we talked about before, mm -hmm. that despite not really being next to each other, you know, not being in the same environment, they're actually in different continents, they've come up with kind of the same conclusion again. So they came to the same conclusion with electricity, but it also seems like they might be coming to the same conclusion with head shape as well. That's just so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I like almost don't even have words to, to think like to, to try to describe it, but just the fact that, I don't know, it's, it's just one of those things where it's, I, I could spend hours sitting there trying to like think about the logic of natural selection in coming to these different conclusions or these yeah. same conclusions. Um, but you never really get a, a perfect answer, a solid answer other than it does what it does. And it's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. And it does it for a reason. Like there's yeah. normally a reason why mm -hmm. that's happened and why those morphologies have stuck around. So there's a reason why both of those groups came to the same conclusion. Are there, are there any the fact that they did it is so cool. <laughs> are there any uh, like consistencies in like ratio of, of like this skull morphology in South American fish as compared to uh, African species? Like, you know, not just similarities in structure, but like in terms of, uh, you know, all of the species in Africa, this is the ratios of the different types of skull morphologies and all the species in South America, this is the ratio of the type, like. Um, Dude, don't give away my dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> Cause that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's actually one of the things that I am studying. Um, and so that's kind of looking at morphology from what we call a macro evolutionary mm -hmm. scale. So how many times did certain things evolve yeah. in this group of fish? Um, and so I don't really want to give away too much, but um, yes, there are some similarities in evolutionary patterns between both groups. Um, I have, so I have a question that um, I was asked to ask you as somebody okay. who studies fish. How, how do you feel about this? Um, so there's a, a, I'm blanking on the name of the author. She is a journalist, science journalist, um, and put out a book called Why Fish Don't Exist. And it's it's about a lot more than than that. But one of the assertions is fish don't exist. And here's why. Because uh, salmon, uh, the lungfish is more related to cows than it is to salmon. And so since that is the case, Fish are just so abstract, so diverse, and so ancient that we really can't even call anything fish. If and, and if we're going to, we might as well all be fish. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> we are all fish. <laughs> ah, there we go. <laughs> is what it boils down to. Um, so I a lot of people 
that study fish have taken an ichthyology class. And so we all kind of have this argument, I guess, in like our back pocket. <laughs> um, it all boils down to evolutionary relationships. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, a lungfish is more closely related to a cow than it is to a salmon. Um, and it's more closely related to us than mm-hmm. it is to a salmon. Um, but the point is that fish as a term doesn't really encompass what we think of as fish. It mm-hmm. encompasses a lot more. Um, when we look at those evolutionary relationships, it actually starts with like chondrichthians. Mm-hmm. There are actually hagfish that don't even have vertebrae that you can call it a fish. It pretty much everything that has a vertebrae, you can call it a fish. <laughs> and so, yes, I, I, I would say that fish is a catch-all term for pretty much everything, including us, uh, <laughs> including birds, which is why the whole like team bird versus team fish argument is <laughs> fun to have yeah. uh, with an ichthyologist because at the end of the day, we're just going to say, well, technically birds are fish anyway. So so is the best answer to the question, what are fish? Simply, yes. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Fish. What are fish? Yes. Is Everything. it a vertebrate? And <laughs> yeah, pretty much it's fish. I like it. I like it. <laughs> and also the response of, you don't even know what a fish is. <laughs> yeah, we don't. Because <laughs> it, it's too many things. Oh. I, I had to ask because that was something that I even uh, I even at one point a while back had tweeted that and people were like, "Who? Why are you trying to start a fight? <laughs> like, what are you oh, doing?" Yeah, people get real up in arms about yeah. it. People are like, "No, salamanders are not fish," and I'm like, "But technically." <laughs> um. So let's see. What is the uh, what's like the coolest thing about electric fish that we haven't covered? Okay, so I would say that there are some pretty funky things that they eat. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, there are species that eat what you would think a fish would eat. Like, they eat plankton, they eat other fish, Mm -hmm. plants, you know, that kind of thing. But there are actually a few species out there that eat both the scales and the tails off of other electric fish. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> so they literally will nip off the scales off of the bodies of other fish and stack them in their throats and what? then swallow them. Like a Pez dispenser in reverse? still kind of trying to figure out why. Yeah, that's weird. Because <laughs> it's not, it doesn't seem like quite as juicy and, you know, great nutrition as a fish, but... You know, <laughs> fish will eat anything that fits into their mouth. So honestly, I can can't really say I'm surprised that they eat something like that. So but... do they do they do that off of like a a dead fish, or do they just go up and we're like, hey, let me get some of those scales? And <laughs> oh no, it's off of live fish. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's even yeah. weirder. Yeah, I could almost understand more of like, oh, I found some food. Let me just no, eat these quick. But <laughs> just off of live fish. Um, but then there are also some species that eat the tail off of other specifically off of other electric fish 
So if we go back to our little discussion about the electric signal, mm -hmm. it's important to note that the strength of the electric signal, like how prominent it is, um, how powerful it is, is dependent on how long the fish is, how oh. long that electric current can run through the body. Okay. And so by eating the tails off of other electric fish, these fish are actually dampening the electric signal. Oh, that fish. is cool. Wait, so is that like a is that like a dominance kind of thing? That's a great Possibly. question. I think probably. <laughs> but it's also just like, let's kill two birds with one stone. Let's dampen this competitor or whatever's electric signal and get some food out of it. But so oh. that people aren't completely freaked out, they actually can regenerate their tail. Oh, so it oh. doesn't normally kill them. Okay. Oh gosh, that brings up like so many questions for me though. Like, is that, so does that mean that the electrical signal is in some way, like, I mean, you already said that they can detect them in between individuals. You know, is there something about the electrical signal that plays a role in like, I don't even know what I'm looking for. I mean, not like a hierarchical system or something, but like, you know, you're, you are the most fit and I'm going to take you down a notch by eating your tail. Um, that's so a great you're... question that I don't have an answer to. <laughs> oh gosh, that's so cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is that is that in any way related to reproduction? That was another thing I wanted to ask about is like, do they have any odd reproductive uh, interactions? We we don't know a whole lot about mm -hmm. the reproductive reproduction. Um, it's actually very difficult to get captured or aquarium electric fish to breed at all. Mm -hmm. um, they're really picky <laughs> yeah. about it um and so we don't really know a whole lot about their reproduction other than what we can find out about from their anatomy and stuff like that sure but there have been some documented cases of like a nest protection behavior okay. um where either one or both of the parents will actually like guard the area where the eggs are located before they hatch Hold up. So is it okay? So, so is is the is the electrical stuff? Is it in some way possibly um, a a sort of sexually selected trait for mm -hmm. so so that so that so that you know females uh, are are going to be more um, inclined to reproduce with the males with a stronger electrical current. And then that's why they eat each other's tails off and stuff is to, I wonder if that could be it. it, it it's entirely possible. We don't know this for sure, oh gosh, <laughs> but so cool. there are definitely conclusions like that, that you can make given the contextual information. Yeah. So entirely yeah. possible. Cannot confirm 100%. See, this is like one of the things that I just love about science is like <laughs> you just go so many different directions and there's not. And that's the thing is like I, I know a lot of people, especially high school students who are like, well, I mean, everything's been figured out already. And I'm like, absolutely oh. not. <laughs> nothing sure has not. been figured out. Like, in comparison to all that there is to figure out, nothing has been figured out. We know a lot, yeah. but definitely not everything. So yeah. go for it. And if you just talk for like five minutes, you'll figure out that there's a question that doesn't have an answer yet. And then just figure out the answer to that question and, and you'll be set for 
an entire dissertation. <laughs> yes, but then it will also come up with more questions yeah. and it's a never ending cycle and welcome oh to science. <laughs> That's really what science is all about is never being <laughs> satisfied because there's always more questions to be answered. And that's, that's part of the journey. <laughs> um, so let's see, what would be, what would be in terms of, cause I don't really know uh, in terms of conservation, you know, what, what's going on with electrical fish. Um, what would be your, your take home message about electrical fish, the things that you would want people to know. And if there's anything related to their conservation that uh, you think people or that you think is important for people to know. Um, we're actually pretty lucky um, in that they are not considered vulnerable for conservation. Um, as far as we know, the majority of the populations are actually pretty well docked, <laughs> I mm -hmm. guess is not, that's not the right word, but um, <laughs> we don't really see any issues with population numbers at this time. But with global temperatures rising and freshwater systems under attack, but both through temperature and through pollution mm -hmm. um, and habitat destruction, that could definitely change. Um, the Amazon is a huge area uh, that provides a lot of things for our world and it's definitely being attacked with development right now yeah. in agriculture. And so anything that we can do to protect the Amazon would not only help us as humans, but also help all of the animals that live there. And so my overall take home message, I guess, is just that fish are amazing. And there are so many things that we don't know about them. Um, and that's pretty much true for all of science. There are so many things, like you said, that we don't know the answer to it yet. Mm -hmm. We haven't studied everything. We can't study everything. And so don't ever think that we have all the answers or that there's nothing for you to ask a question about and look into because we have so many things that we need to search and search for answers for. It makes sense. <laughs> um, ended that awkwardly. Sorry. No, you're fine. You're fine. Uh, that's how I end every conversation is awkwardly. So, um, no, I'm kidding. Yep. Um, <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode. And thank you again, Cassandra Ford. I know that transition there was kind of an awkward one that was partially intentful, but again, it is my status quo. Anyway, uh, Cassandra, Dr. Cassandra Ford, uh, first off, congratulations. Um, it, that is just an amazing achievement and um, very excited for for your future and, and your uh work that you are about to be doing in Switzerland and, and all the other things that we mentioned in like the behind the sciences segment of the, uh, of the show, um, really great things ahead. And again, if you don't follow Cassandra on uh, social media, it's cast the fish. That's K with the, uh, K A S S fish. Um, you need to, because as you clearly now know, after listening to that episode, she is a brilliant science communicator. Uh, very adept at putting things into terms that really everyone can understand and being able to provide metaphors and visualizations and just make it interesting and exciting. Um, absolute one of our one of our all time favorites uh, to to follow on social media and just to watch the different things that that she is doing. So definitely give her a follow. Always great content. 
check out the episode notes for uh, links to um, support our show at uh, patreon.com slash the wildlife, as well as links for uh, supporting um, Hurricane Ida relief efforts uh, and and to find um, some of Cassandra's stuff as well, some of her uh, research, her website, things like that. And be sure to check out thewildlife.blog sometime this week because it is all electric fish themed in honor of the episode. So be sure to check that out. Wherever you're listening, if you have a moment to spare, obviously you have no obligation to do it. You don't owe us anything. But if you are listening right now, it'd be awesome if you could just leave a quick rating and review. Thank you for listening. Peace out, Rainbow Trout.